Hello. Love Talk Radio. She'll set the link Welcome up. to the Bottom Line Show Live. Today we have two incredible guests. Yes, Joe, I'm just doing the introduction. Thank you for being on the Bottom Line Show Live. We're so excited to have you and Darren Hill of the Responsibility Foundation with us today. It's going to be an Lillian. exciting Let me hour. Ask, Darren, are you on? I believe. Darren was having trouble getting in. Okay, he should be. He's, I'm he's here. Thanks, that. everyone. It's There's great Darren. to be with you. Darren, meet Lillian Walker, just a great lady, <laughs> Darren Hill. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at the Bottom Line Show Live. Well, let's get started. Um, I'm very excited to be sharing with our listeners not only our, our dear friend and former guest, Joe Lake, who is the founder of the Children's Miracle Network, which is responsible for raising almost $5 billion to benefit children in children's hospitals throughout the United States. And now, Joe, you are part of this incredible uh, legacy movement called the Responsibility Foundation, of which yeah. Darren Hill is the CEO of the right. foundation. Yep. I, I have met Darren and, and absolutely overwhelmed with what he brings to this project. And as I mentioned to him not long ago, I said, you know, the Children's Miracle Network was marvelous. It didn't have to be there. Hospitals would have survived. This project, the Statue of Responsibility that Darren is heading up, has to be done. It has to be built. It has to be what it is. And, Darren, why don't you tell Lillian about your vision and how we're moving forward? I'd be thrilled to do that. Thank you so much. And, Lillian, it's a pleasure to be with you and to uh, be able to have the chance to talk with your listeners. I love what you and they stand for. I think all of us are together in trying to make the world a much better place, and I love the impact that you've had through your entrepreneurship as well as in the way you help people connect. Thank you. Thank you. You're a shining light on the hill. Thank you so much, Darren. So tell us about how the the, uh, Foundation of Responsibility, what was the the beginning, you know, the kernel that started this all, and how did you get involved? That's a perfect place to start. There was a gentleman who was 68 pounds as a full-grown man as he left the concentration camps in World War II when they were liberated. Uh, His name was Viktor Frankl. Uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl had uh, been in Auschwitz. Uh, He had been in Dachau and other camps, and he survived. Uh, Unfortunately, his dear wife, uh, their unborn child, uh, all of her family and all of his family except for one sister had been murdered. And he went on to become one of the world's most famous clinical psychiatrists. Uh, He was a prolific author, and his most famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, has been listed by the Library of Congress as one of the ten most influential books in America. Mm -hmm. In that book, he shares his experience, what he went through, and Mm -hmm. how uh, in the midst of all of these tortures and in the middle of having every liberty Uh, taken from him. 
you know, the ability to choose where to be, what to eat, what to say, what to do, um, even what to wear was taken away from him. And yet he still had freedom. And, uh, and he, he drew a sharp difference between freedom and liberty. And one of the things that he did is he shared with people is that if we want true freedom, uh, if we want the ability to uh, have the control that we need over our decisions, over our attitudes, um, and even over our feelings over time, then we have to recognize that that's only possible with responsibility. Um, if I can, let me just share a brief uh, example of that. Uh, he would often say that between stimulus and response is a space. Uh, between what happens to us and what we choose to, to do as a response, we have freedom. And in that space, that freedom is our ability to choose. You know, here he was having his entire family murdered, um, uh, having all of his liberties taken away, having uh, awful things take place with him and those around him, and yet he still chose to be hopeful, to, be, um, to see the good, to have gratitude. And he knew that he was the one who was responsible for those choices, that he was able to make those choices himself. And that gave him the freedom to truly uh, be able to control each of his own decisions, his feelings, <clears throat> pardon me, and his future. Uh, he went on to share that same message with the world. And, and as he did, he would often say, we have an epic monument to our liberties in the United States and in the world. It's called the Statue of Liberty. And it's really important. Uh, but we need a similarly epic monument to responsibility to bookend the United States to show that where we have both liberty and responsibility, that's where we have real freedom. That was the genesis, and I can, I can share mo some more of the story with you, but um, yeah. let, me just, uh, let me just pause for a moment and, and ask um, your listeners if you can stop and think about that for a minute. Um, for me, I'm a, I'm a dad. Uh, my, my wonderful wife, Nicole, and I have five children, and they're amazing. Mm -hmm. And any parent who has children knows that um, kids like to talk about the freedom that they have, um, and what they really mean is the liberty they have to make their own choices. Um, but how many times have you heard a, uh, uh, someone young say, I can do whatever I want, and, um, <laughs> and, they, they, for, right? <laughs> and they forget yeah. that, yeah, that's true, you can do whatever you want, but, there are, um, but without being responsible for what you choose to do, uh, there are consequences that come with that that could limit your freedom in the future. That's true. You know, this, this project means so much to me personally. Uh, I have thought for a long time how irresponsible we as a nation and as our gener my generation, which is the oldest one on this phone call, <coughs> you know, has, has tried very hard to do what we think is right. But the new generations out there just don't understand the responsibility that they have to guarantee and protect their liberty and their freedom. And when, when I met Darren and found about his passion to put this project together with the vision that Dr. Frankel had, uh, and everybody I've talked to so far knows about Dr. Frankel and knows about that book, and, and I just said to Darren, if there's any way I can help with this, this is kind of my last hurrah, and this is, one of the, this is what I'm going to spend the last days of, of my life helping to, 
to see to fruition so that it can become for exactly what we want it to be, and that is the there is no liberty without responsibility. That is well, so true. Victor, yeah, in Victor Frankl's book, he, uh, Victor Frankl, one of his quotes are, uh, there are things which must cause you to lose your reason or you have none to lose. And this this particular cause, the Responsibility Foundation and the Statue of Responsibility, which is the modern-day equivalent of what happened you know, with the Statue of Liberty and the children who came together in France to be able to raise funds and create the statue, and then it was given as a gift, as we all know, here to the United States. I think you know, the time has come for us to reunify as a nation and teach our children um, the, the social responsibility that we have not only to, to each other and to our families and our communities, but to the global community at large. So, Darren, could you elaborate a little bit more on exactly what it is that the Foundation of Responsibility is doing? Yes. So the Responsibility Foundation is dedicated to building two things, both a monument and a movement of responsibility. The Statue of Responsibility is the physical uh, expression of that, and we're constructing that uh, 305 feet 6 inches tall, just as the Statue of Liberty is as, uh, as a, a bookend, if you will, as a supplement and a complement to the Statue of Liberty. Uh, the Statue of Liberty, as you pointed out, uh, has, has stood as this really powerful symbol. And um, I love that you commented, Lillian, on how it came, to, it came about at a time when uh, there was great division in the country. Uh, it was proposed um, uh, right at the end of the Civil War in the United States where our country was divided politically, uh, militarily, um, geographically, economically, in every way you could think. And uh, it feels very similar, eerily similar to today, where we have major divides uh, in our country uh, along racial lines, income lines, uh, ideological uh, approaches. And just as the Statue of Liberty was a massive unifying force that brought great togetherness and connectedness and and positive hope and energy to the country at that time, the Statue of Responsibility will do the same to our nation today. Um, And in the process of building that statue, we we truly do have uh, the opportunity to bring people together in a movement that brings that unity that brings that togetherness, uh, that uh, also brings the recognition of how responsibility can help re-energize our country and uh, redefine the way we look at our lives. You know, uh, previous generations gave us the gift of liberty. We're the, the benefactors of that. We enjoy it so much. And, uh, and it's our turn to do something like that for the generations which come after us, and that is responsibility. I love, I love the quote that comes from uh, Ronald Reagan. He often uh, would say, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Oh, uh, yeah. We can't pass it along in our bloodstream. Well, Go ahead, Lauren. Well, I would love, because this show uh, deals with the secrets to success, and I know that Joe has um, successfully founded not only a very uh, well-to-do I believe it was an insurance business prior to him starting the Children's Miracle Network, whom we all are very well aware of, 
And you, Darren, you have a history of having built six six of the eight companies that you've uh, founded and co-founded. There's obviously a common thread here of um, success principles that you have both applied in order to do what you have done and what you're doing right now with the Responsibility Foundation and taking the statue of responsibility from just an idea and a concept to an actual physical manifestation that we're all able to to witness and enjoy. So if you can address some of those things because when when Joe when you started the Children's Miracle Network that was a it's a very large undertaking much like what you're doing right now with the statue of responsibility. So there's the obviously the idea and energy that's behind the idea and then there's the actual thing itself once you accomplish you know that thing. So can you talk a little bit about that and share that with our our listeners? Yeah, when when my business associate and I created this concept in 1982, uh, we had had some experience dealing with another nonprofit organization in, in raising money for children's issues. And uh, we decided if we started something new, we'd want to benefit the children's hospital because they take care of every sick child, uh, irregardless of what the disease or the malady is or the surgery needed, or whatever. <clears throat> and I had a daughter who was born, uh, and when she was three years old, uh, her life was saved at a children's hospital in Salt Lake City with an emergency surgery in the middle of the night. Now I'm the proud grandfather of a 14-year-old who was born premature, had to be life-flatted to the same children's hospital her aunt was given surgery in, where she spent the first six weeks of her life, and so we thought children's hospitals have to be everywhere. This might be something that could unify them. Now the statue of responsibility is a permanent fixture. It's going to be there, like the Statue of Liberty has been there. It's not just going to be a destination place to go and stand on the top and look out the look out observation, but it's going to be multiple uses within the statue so that the community that erects this uh, beautiful monument will be able to enjoy it with business meetings, with cultural events, with art galleries, with beautiful landscaping. And, and we just really are excited about bringing something this new. And, Darren, why don't you tell us what you felt when you heard about what uh, President-elect Trump wants to do? Well, one of the things that uh, our President-elect has, has uh, shared with the nation is that he wants to uh, work on infrastructure in the country, but more so than infrastructure, he wants to do something that really is monumental and brings meaning. Uh, obviously, that resonates with uh, the mission that we have. Uh, he gave specific examples in the articles that uh, published the interview where he talked about you know, building something akin to the Hoover Dam or the Golden Gate Bridge or other kinds of really um, iconic um, construction uh, projects that not only uh, provide something useful, but also capture the imagination and the hearts of the people. This is exactly that kind of project. In fact, Joe and I will be in, in Washington, D.C. next week, um, meeting with a variety of different people and organizations as we work to advance this work. Um, and uh, I've had the privilege of uh, meeting with and and talking with uh, Vice President-elect Mike Pence uh, when he was then Governor Pence. 
uh, about the statue of responsibility. In fact, he has a statue of responsibility on his desk, as too many governors in the United States, uh, because yeah. this past year we were able to complete a drive for responsibility, which took us to 50 major media markets, uh, to every state capital in the continental United States. Uh, we were able to meet with uh, the state governors, with their representatives, with leaders of uh, state legislators, uh, legislatures, and with um, other luminaries. Uh, but I, I wonder if I could go back to what Joe accomplished for just a minute with sure. um, the, the Children's Miracle Network. Uh, what Joe accomplished there, uh, as Joe has shared the, his experiences and the stories uh, of, of what it took, you know, it, it really started from nothing. Joe took it from nothing, uh, from just an idea, a concept, mm -hmm. and went around the country uh, presenting to different individuals and groups and companies and hospitals and uh, and celebrities to get them on board. And it's very much a parallel process with what we're doing because at the beginning, uh, you know, as Joe said, people said it wasn't needed, that hospitals would continue without it, but he helped convince them, helped them see the vision of what this could do. And uh, and a few key individuals got on board and, and that's what it took for the flywheel to get moving and to gain momentum until the point where now everybody wants to be a part of it. And we're at that same kind of tipping point with the Responsibility Foundation where we now have um, created uh, some broad awareness uh, where we've uh, got some really wonderful uh, key luminaries coming on board and where we'll have the opportunity to take this at a much faster uh, speed and trajectory into the future. With with this project and this place that we're sitting now is we're still in the in the fundraising capacity to generate the revenue to get the statue built and to move this thing forward and we have a really wonderful team of people who are as dedicated to this as Darren and I are who are putting in long hours and travel and using their own money here and there to get this thing started it's so similar to what we did 20, uh, 30 some odd years ago with CMN but this can also be a grassroots uh, opportunity. This can be an opportunity for uh, mom and dad and kids in middle America to send in a donation and be part of something spectacular. And it's an opportunity. I watched this with, with my own kids when we started CMN, how excited my children got at being able to contribute something to their local hospital. And uh, every year my children did independently of what I was doing without raising money through their friends and their schools and, and sending in money for the Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City. And this grassroots effort took off, and uh, I'm sure your listeners have seen the, the balloons hanging up in various stores and people are buying balloons to support the Children's Miracle Network Hospital in their community. Well, this same long-range mission of corporate sponsorship, individual donors, special events are all coming together now to get this project where we can literally walk on top of the thing and, and see the fruits of the labors. Absolutely. Lillian, could I share a few more stories that would be pertinent to that? Absolutely. Great. Uh, if I can, I'd love to just share this with you. That grassroots movement is so important. Uh, this past uh, uh, this this past semester, 
Um, we've had the opportunity of traveling around the country, as I mentioned, with the Drive for Responsibility. Um, as part of the Drive for Responsibility, we also partnered with corporate sponsors and individual uh, philanthropists uh, and just ordinary Joes like me to go out and uh, create the nation's largest mock presidential campaign for school kids. Uh, we were able to conduct that uh, across the country where we gave school children the opportunity to not just participate in a mock election, there are many of those, um, but also <clears throat> to engage in civic responsibility and learn about it. So we, we provided online and offline uh, materials and lessons and activities that students could do to learn about their civic responsibility and how to engage in that in a way that's really impactful and fun. And so, <clears throat> for example, um, we had students learning about our Constitution, the Continental Congress, uh, about the electoral process, um, parties, uh, what parties are, and, 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 and encourage them to go out and to engage with the individual campaigns, the parties, with the um, uh, candidates themselves, and to do things as a family and as a class uh, to discuss those things and so they could then discover for themselves what issues are important to them, how they think about them, uh, how they want to evaluate the candidates and, and uh, the various platforms in relation to that, and then to make their own choices. Um, that kind of engagement is so crucial to the future civic life of our, uh, of our country. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, was recently documented was that there are so many people who feel like uh, they don't need to participate in the process or even in the vote because they feel like their their voice doesn't matter, that their vote is not heard. And, and that's key, that we've got to help them understand that it does make a difference and that they can really engage and make a difference in their lives. Um, in the process of doing that, we're able to reach millions and millions of people. Uh, we were able to conduct school assemblies. We had the most phenomenally fun school assemblies with former Harlem Globetrotters and some of Meadowlark Lemons uh, All-Stars going to schools where we reached more than 10,000 students and school assemblies that got kids excited about being a part of that. And uh, specifically talking about the importance of responsibility in their lives and how responsibility is the first habit. Uh, if you're, uh, I know all your listeners are probably familiar with uh, Dr. Stephen R. Covey who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Well, Stephen Covey, uh, his first habit is, I am able. I am able to respond. In fact, you would often say, I am response-able. I am responsible. So being responsible is the core. It's that foundation piece that we have to start with to establish both a mindset and habits that lead to success. And, and so that's one of our mantras is, to, to teach people that being responsible means that you're able to respond and that each of us has that capability regardless of what comes our way, no matter what happens to us, um, we're able to choose our response and that that's what the real definition of responsibility is. Now, Stephen Covey plays another role in the history and I've only given you a few pieces of the history of the, of the statue of responsibility. I'll, I'll add this piece next. Um, Viktor Frankl uh, came up with this idea, as we talked about at the top of the show, um, to build a statue of responsibility as, a, as an icon, as a symbol, 
of of uh, the importance of responsibility and liberty to freedom. And uh, he and as as Viktor Frankl would talk about this all over the world, uh, he and Stephen Covey would often speak at the same events, and they became friends. Uh, well, Stephen Covey and his, his dear wife Sandra uh, obviously agreed with this concept and would often talk with Victor about it. And one day they said, Victor, we need to make this happen. Uh, do you mind if we start a foundation, uh, a nonprofit group that would give us the ability to do that? And he said, by all means, please do. So that was the genesis of the Responsibility Foundation, Victor Frankel and Stephen Covey uh, and Sandra Covey working together to make that happen. And there's a fascinating yeah. story that took place after that. And uh, sorry, you're about to ask something, so I'll, I'll, I'll hold that next story for when you're ready. No, con- continue with the story. I'll hold the questions to the end. Sure. So, um, so they did, they did establish the foundation, um, and uh, Sandra Covey, having been an art collector, uh, obviously knew uh, many artists. And as they as they scoured the the different um, possibilities. And as the foundation evaluated what uh, they wanted to do next in terms of uh, the design of the Statue of Responsibility, um, they, they went through their process. And uh, at the end of the process, they selected, uh, they selected a world-famous sculptor named Gary Lee Price as the sculptor and designer of the Statue of Responsibility. Um, and the commission had been to come up with an idea uh, for a, a physical, visual representation of what responsibility looks like. And so when someone looked at the statue of responsibility, they would immediately find that connection to the meaning of responsibility. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'd invite your listeners to just stop and think about that for a minute. What physical thing could you look at that would embody responsibility? Mm. Well, he came up with something phenomenal, um, uh, which is why his was selected. Uh, he came up with an image, and, and your listeners can go to the website, responsibilityfoundation.org, to see this. It's a beautiful image of a hand reaching up for help and another hand coming down from above and grasping arm to arm and the, the person above lifting the other. And there's a, an incredible story behind this. As, as this was developed um, and uh, selected as the, as the winning design, um, they, the, the foundation leaders and Gary wanted to see if there was some way they could confirm that that was going to resonate with the meaning that Dr. Viktor Frankl had originally. But at this point, he passed away. He passed away in 1997. And so they were thinking, who would be the next best person to let us know if this is the right design or not? And uh, immediately it came to them. They, they wanted to go see Dr. Ellie Frankel, um, who was his widow. His original wife had passed away. You know, she'd been murdered in the concentration camps in Auschwitz. And uh, he'd remarried after he got out of the concentration camp. And his wife is also a psychiatrist. Uh, excuse me, a clinical psychiatrist, and she is uh, an incredible individual. She is um, very vigorous and active today. Uh, She's 91 years old, and uh, at this point uh, in history, they went to Vienna 
and they uh, made a, took a contingency of the foundation leaders and of Gary, and they went to Vienna to meet with her to see what her reaction would be to the statue um, design and see if they could move forward with that or if they should change it. Well, they arrived. They unveiled the statue. And when they unveiled the statue and asked her what she thought, does this match Viktor Frankl's vision of his description of responsibility and the statue of responsibility? Uh, in her uh, German-accented English, she said, my American friends, you must come with me to Victor's studio. And she took them uh, through their apartments, unlocked a door, took them into his studio, which is an office lined from wall to wall and floor to ceiling with all of Victor's books uh, that he wrote and read from others. And, uh, and in the middle of all of that is one niche. And that niche was, um, was so special to him, he, he, he clad it in white leather. And in that niche was one of his treasures, this, uh, a statue. It was actually one of the very first things he bought when he got out of the concentration camps. And it's a statue of, of, of a person in deep agony, just suffering um, from the waist up and reaching up, into the, uh, reaching up for someone to help. Uh, reaching up for assistance. And uh, he actually did not even have the money to purchase this when he got out. He had to put it on layaway. Um, but it spoke to him because to him, that was him. Uh, he had been in such agony, and the others who he was with had been in such agony, that to him it was a physical representation of what we all go through. And he called it the suffering man. And as he would go around the world, he would use it as a metaphor to teach responsibility. He would show this, and then he would ask his audiences, where are the hands reaching down to lift? Where are the hands reaching mm -hmm. down to respond? And he would say, this is all of us. At, at many points in our lives, we're all in this situation, and responsibility is reaching to help and, and to make that connection. And, of course, uh, Mrs. Ellie Frankel, Dr. Ellie Frankel, looked at them and she said, what you, after telling them the story, she said, what you, my American friends, bring me is the answer to Victor's question. Here is the hand reaching down. This is the completion of the story. Wow. This is why this design should be the statue of responsibility. Wow. <laughs> Lily, what when is... you and I had, had lunch mm -hmm. not long ago and talking about this, we we talked in terms of the fact that nothing in life just happens. Uh, it, it happens, and, and, and what we walk into and the doors we choose are the ones that we're supposed to choose, and we have to accept what's behind them and be responsible for the direction. This, to me, is so important to the world. I've watched my kids and my grandkids grow up with responsibility because my father taught me and I taught them. But there's so many people today who are suffering without any help of no, of people saying, it's not my fault. You know, the old comic line, the devil made me do this. We have to be responsible for our actions. And those actions give us the opportunity to be successful in what we do. But along with receiving the opportunity to be successful, there has to be some gratitude laid back that says thank you for giving me the opportunity 
to be where I am and doing what I'm doing, and without your help and endorsement of this, <clears throat> we couldn't make it. And that's what we hope to do with empowering the country, is that this is a project that everybody can have a piece of. And when they go to it, they can say, I gave them $100, or I gave them a $1,000,000, and be part of building the Responsibility Foundation and the statue to ensure that we all end up with the continued liberty and freedom that we have been so blessed with in this country. So let's talk a little bit about, um, to give people an idea and a notion of the magnitude of what it is that you're undertaking to do and how they can be a part of it. Um, if you would shed some light uh, with regards to the history of the Statue of Liberty and how that, um, how the funds were raised, because that obviously, you know, everything is relative. For its time, it was very expensive, and you know, to do what you're doing today is also very expensive. So, how how was that gifted to the United States? Would you share that story with our listeners? I'd love to. Thank you. Um, you know, Mark Twain said that uh, history does not actually repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And um, mm -hmm. we're rhyming history today with that uh, Statue of Liberty. Uh, in fact, the Statue of Liberty uh, was, as you say, and as all of us know, uh, a gift from France. Uh, what most people don't know is it was not a gift from the government of France. It was a gift from individuals who took the responsibility on themselves to do that. Uh, there was an incredible gentleman named, um, his, his name was Edward Laboulet. Uh He loved America. He loved freedom. He loved what um, America had produced for the world in terms of helping to spread freedom and liberty. And so he wanted to create uh, a gift for America to symbolize that. So he gathered friends. Um, they, they raised money uh, from private individuals, and they created a gold coin as a gift that they were going to give to America um, uh, to uh, symbolize the friendship uh, and the appreciation uh, between the two peoples. Uh, Napoleon heard about this and um, confiscated the coin because he wanted it and the gold that it had. And so that kind of uh, put the kibosh on their, their approach. Um, so they had a dinner party not long after that where Edward Laboulaye invited a bunch of uh, great friends and others, uh, again, private citizens, to join him. And, and as he was telling what had happened, he said, I think we should – we should give a different gift, and if we make sure it's not gold, it won't get confiscated. Does anyone have an idea? And at that dinner party, uh, there was another uh, incredible person named Frederic Auguste Bartholdi, and he was a sculptor. Mm -hmm. And Frederic had, uh, had previously created this idea for a, a colossus, a statue um, that would be a woman holding up a light, um, and that, uh, that he envisioned this statue being uh, erected at the Suez Canal at its opening, because <clears throat> that was taking place about the same time. Uh, at the time, the leader of Egypt had said that he wanted that, and so, uh, so Bartholdi had been working on it. Uh, when it came time to actually do it, uh, the leader of Egypt said, I'm not interested anymore. So Bartholdi stood in front of this dinner crowd and said, I have the most amazing statue that could be very meaningful and that could be the gift that we give. And, and everyone at the dinner party loved the idea as he shared that her name was Lady Liberty Enlightening the World. Uh, of course, we call her the Statue of Liberty today, but that's her real name. And, um, and together, 
uh, Laboulet and Bartholdi um, formed a small group of committed people uh, to raise the funds to give this. And as you know, it came from you know children and others in France who raised the uh, the money for the copper um, and for the design and the construction. So they built all the pieces for the Statue of Liberty and and sent it to America. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Those pieces sat for quite a while on uh, what was then called Bedloe's Island. We call it Liberty Island today. The agreement was that America had to, uh, had to construct a pedestal upon which she would stand. And because she's such a colossus, it had to be a large and expensive pedestal. Um, uh, they did a tour of America with the face of the statue and with the torch of the statue to raise money, and that was not successful. Um, it, it generated a lot of interest and a lot of recognition, but not money. Uh, it's, and they went to the U.S. Congress. They declined to help. They went to the state of New York, uh, to the legislature. They declined to help. Uh, they went to the city of New York, and the city declined to help. Uh, they even went to many of the wealthy uh, people in New York, uh, you know, uh, the Morgans, the, the Rothschilds, uh, the Vanderbilts. They were not interested in helping. Um, Nobody got it. Uh, they, 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 they thought it was a strange idea. In fact, there's a great book out by Elizabeth Mitchell called Liberty's Torch. It came out last year that chronicles all of this. And, um, and they just thought that that was an incredible um, waste of money. So um, it set, the piece is set on the island. Uh, at that point, uh, it was threatening to be lost. The people in France were saying, hey, maybe we should take it back. Uh, Boston was trying to get it. Philadelphia was trying to get it. And one day, a man named Joseph Pulitzer um, heard about this and went out to the island. Um, and Pulitzer, of Pulitzer fame, looked at all these pieces of the statue on the island and said, we cannot lose this. This has got to stay here. Um, he happened to own the, the world's largest newspaper uh, chain called The World, and he wrote about it in his paper, and he invited everyone to contribute to the, uh, to the fundraising effort to build the base. And as he wrote about it, he told them, and anyone who contributes will get their name uh, written in the paper if they contribute more than 10 cents. And so wow. uh, suddenly people started pouring in, you know, um, small and large donations from all around the country, and they raised the money for the, for the pedestal and started construction. And this, this particular effort led by one person who made a difference um, mirrored the one person who made a difference in Edward Lavallee. You know, just these individuals who said, I'm going to do something that can really make a difference for the world and, um, and led to a huge movement of millions of people making a difference by sending in their, their nickels and dimes. And that's how the money was raised. That's an incredible story because if you think about it, and obviously in those days they didn't have the Internet, they didn't have televisions, and they didn't have you know, the technology and the connectivity, the ease of connectivity that we have today. And yet it was still accomplished, not without challenges. You know, any great thing that you do is you're going to face challenges, and surely you just shared with us how they had you know, quite a few challenges, and yet it has come to pass. And it seems to me that uh, it was a 
not just a collective effort, but it seemed that irrespective of whatever political affiliation people were coming from or children were coming from, that that didn't matter. It was something that as a collective group, they came together for one purpose and one cause and then realized this dream. You're right. And it was actually very healing for the nation. In fact, the two groups that gave the most money to to this effort were, as you pointed out, uh, children. And the second group was were veterans, veterans of the Civil War. They wanted to come oh. together. They wanted to unify. Um, and this project was a very um, physical, visual way of doing that and expressing what was in their hearts. When I was um, when I was 15 years old, my parents sent me to New York to spend the summer with an uncle and his wife, and it was a wonderful opportunity for a kid at that age to be in New York, uh, you know, for the very first time. And I had a job working as a a stock boy at Lord and Taylor's on Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. back when it was the only Lord and Taylor. And uh, my uncle, when we had time to start sightseeing, my uncle, the very first place he wanted me to go was the Statue of Liberty. And uh, we went out to the island, and uh, I was in awe of it. Of course, I learned about it in school growing up like every kid in America does. And But to stand there and to, to look up and to get up inside it, and in those days you could go up to the crown, you could go up to the torch. I don't know if that still happens, but it just it kind of altered my perspective on life. And I started thinking, based on what my uncle said, that the number of people who immigrate to our country and have immigrated to our country have come into the New York Harbor with that sight greeting them and and recognizing that they have come to a place that has liberty, some place that they can feel safe and they can be who they want to be and accomplish what they want to accomplish. Well, several years later, I spent a two-year window of my life uh, in in Scotland on a church service, and I came home on a boat. And we pulled into New York Harbor about 6 a.m., and the the ship slowed down in front of the Statue of Liberty, and over the uh, PA system of the ship, they played the national anthem. And I stood on the deck of this ship looking at that statue, hearing that song, and as a 21-year-old, I was sobbing at how much I had missed the things we have in America and how much for the last two years feeling that I had lost the ability to be as free and and able to do what we do as I I was at that point in time. And and to see that statue as my, my first basic welcome home uh, wow. was was the emotional and so i've had the chance over the year i've got i don't feel sorry for darren with five kids i've got six <laughs> and I've, <laughs> I've taken each one of them as their school graduation one-on-one and taken them uh to to a, on a two-week trip uh with dad i traveled a lot as you know lillian with my kids growing mm-hmm. up and so this is something that I did one-on-one with each child when they graduated from high school. And we spent a week in Washington, D.C., and gave them all of that history and background. And then we went to New York, and the first place I took them was the Statue of Liberty and, and taught wow. them those same lessons. So uh, this, this thing we're doing now 
is going to impact generations to come. And we're going to get this thing built before I die. I told Darren, we've got to finish this project so I can stand on it before I'm I'm gone. Because this is the last thing I'm going to do in this life. So. Well, well, the three of us and, and need I, to make sure we're at the top of it celebrating together at the dedication. <laughs> Most yeah, definitely. And and I love what you said earlier about its um, its bookends. You have the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast, and then you'll have the, the Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. And um, it will help, I think, unify – I don't think. I know that it will help unify our country in a way which is much needed and we really haven't had for a very long time. As you mentioned earlier, this is probably the most polarizing time we've had probably in the last hundred years. Yeah, it is. And sometimes people, you know, speaking to a group of of high school and college students, several thousand of them a few weeks ago, and, um, uh, you know, sometimes people wonder, well, yeah, okay, responsibility, but what does that mean and, and, and how will that really make a difference? Well, all you have to do is think about just some people who either have been responsible or have not been responsible, and you can see the huge impact it can have. I mean, you know, if we say the word Enron or Bernie Madoff, <laughs> right, <laughs> or Flint water crisis, I mean, these are, these are simple uh, uh, decisions that were made by people or companies or, you know, governments about responsibility one way or the other. And on the flip side, you know, if you think about George Washington, he was responsible for us having freedom. He could have been a king. He chose, he chose uh, a different path, you know, peaceful transition to power. Sure. Uh, Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa or Abraham Lincoln. You know, we have some – or Harriet Beecher Stowe is one of my favorites. She's one of my ancestors. You know, she she oh. took the she looked around at the country and she saw what was happening, and she said, "I can do something. I can be responsible for something better." And she wrote a book called Harry, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin," which inspired millions of people to be willing to go to war to free other wow. people that they had never met and that lived thousands of miles away. Incredible. So, Absolutely you know, uh, Victor. Victor Hugo has a quote that I love. He said, he said, there's nothing so powerful as an idea whose time has come. Mm-hmm. And if we look at all the major positive changes that have happened in history, every one of them actually started with an idea. You know, uh, the American Revolution started with this idea of liberty. Um, uh, you know, women's right to vote and, you know, racial equality started with this idea of equality, um, you know, uh, even in individuals' lives, you know, in my life, uh, this idea that I am a child of God, this divine origin, this divine nature, uh, impacts, you know, what I feel I am responsible and capable of doing. And, and so it's at every level of our lives, every level of our society. That's one reason why the statue is so important. The, the physical image of it shows these, these hands clasping, you know, arm to arm. And uh, if you do that yourself in front of in front of you, you know you can do it yourself. You can hold your arm like that. And to me, that's like symbolic of the fact that responsibility starts with me. You know, it's an individual thing. It's personal responsibility first, then family responsibility, responsibility to our community, to our neighbors, you know, uh, and, and to our state, to our country, and to the world, to humanity. 
So there are lots of ways that we can look at that. How would you, since we are talking a lot about freedom and liberty, how would you define liberty? That's great. Well, um, I, I actually prefer the definition that, that uh, was given by Stephen, Frank, uh, Stephen Covey and, um, and by Viktor Frankl. Um, they talk about liberty as the things that we're able to do. Um, so, for example, uh, I'm sorry, that we're able to do because of our circumstance and surroundings. So, for example, uh, in our country, we have a liberty that we call the freedom of the press. Um, that uh, we have another liberty um, that we we often re- refer to as the freedom of association. And this is where things get challenging. Um, you know, their definition of liberty has to do with, you know, these kinds of circumstances and situations that can actually be removed from us. Um, you know, if you think about, uh, if you think about uh, the Japanese Americans during World War II uh, who were interred um, in, in camps in the United States, they were Americans, right? They weren't part of a foreign power. They were, many of them were born here. And, um, and yet their liberties were removed from them by the government. So those, those are things that wow. can be taken away by others. Mm-hmm. But real freedom, this is the key difference, real freedom can never be taken away from you because, or from us because we have the freedom to choose, to choose our thoughts, to choose how we will act, to choose what we will think and say. Um, that's the ultimate freedom. And in reality, it's the only thing that can never be taken from us. Um, and uh, by anyone other than ourselves, and that's the key, um, there are so many people who take that freedom away from themselves by, by, by releasing the responsibility that they have over it and putting it in the hands of others and, and, and being a victim. You know, well, I couldn't, mm. I couldn't do the right thing because someone else did something else. Well, they, they gave up the responsibility they have to choose to someone else, and in doing so, they lose their freedom. So the way we keep our freedom is responsibility, being responsible, responsible. You said something very, very powerful. I want to repeat it because what you said is um, when we release our responsibility to choose to others, uh, that is obviously a choice, an internal choice. And sometimes I'm sure you've heard, I've heard plenty of times where people will oftentimes verbalize, well, I didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily true. You're right. You're right. We have a choice. We always have a choice. Every time. We always have a choice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Always. We may, not, we may I, not like the options sure. that are available, <laughs> but we do have a choice. <laughs> Always. That's true. We do. Um, I, I'm a businessman, and, and uh, as you pointed out, you know, my, a lot of my experiences in uh, uh, business, I've had the, the great privilege and blessing of, of having uh, some businesses that were fails, but also several that were really good and some that were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we've sold one of them for more than a hundred million dollars. My co-founders and I, we've been on, we've had another one that's been on Shark Tank where we have a deal with, you know, QVC and Lori Grenier and, uh, and, and, and several others. But the one thing that I've learned through all of that is that we always have a choice and that there are things that happen to us all the time, like you said, um, Lillian, that we may not like. 
um, or or we may not like uh, what the options are in front of us. But we always have a choice on what we want to do, and and especially in how we treat people, uh, how we do business. Now, I recently had someone um, uh, in business, uh, in effect, steal half a million dollars uh, from one of our businesses, and oh. and I had a choice on what to do with that. You know, uh, what do I choose to do? How do I choose to react? And I've been very fortunate. Uh, to have been taught by great parents and wonderful coaches and mentors like Joe um, that, that just because someone else does something awful does not mean I have to do something awful back. I can choose sure. uh, a higher, better path. You know, if someone else goes low, we, I can still go high. Very true. Well, we have can just we, a few can we minutes talk? left to wrap up. I was going to say okay. we just have a, about three, four minutes left, so if, if there's one key uh, thing that you would like to share with our listeners, now would be the time. All right, there is. Uh, each listener, everyone out there, you are responsible. You are responsible. You are able to respond. And I invite you to do so. Be a part of this. Come join this movement. Uh, if you had lived 135 years ago and someone invited you to be a key part of building the Statue of Liberty, I think that in hindsight, you would have said, yes, I want to do that, and I will do it. So I invite you to do that. You can do it in several ways, but all of them are at our website. Uh, That is www.responsibilityfoundation.org. We invite you to live responsibly, to be responsible, and to get engaged and give. Come and become a recurring monthly donor, be a volunteer, create a team, and be a part of this monument and movement. Uh, You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, We have a number of educational programs that are phenomenal. Um, And you can also be a part of, as Joe pointed out, our fundraising. I like to call it friend raising because everyone becomes a friend when we do that. Uh, We have a a very simple target. And while while we've been talking about something epic, I want to bring it down to a bite-sized piece. Sure building a national monument that creates a national movement that changes the world and our lives and our families for the better is incredible and and can seem overwhelming. So let me make it bite-sized. What we're doing is we're building a a 30-story building and cladding it with an architectural um, uh, 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 exterior and creating an incredible visitor experience with a virtual reality um, interaction that will change people's lives as they come in. And we build 30-story buildings in the United States every day. Um, we raise money for projects. That this is this is a 125 million dollar project. Uh, we've raised several million dollars and are on our way to doing more. Um, uh, but we do this kind of thing every day in the United States. And so this is not only doable; it's infinitely achievable, and it's going to happen. It's, the only question is, will it happen with you? So we invite all your listeners to say yes to that and to become a part of it. Lillian, we appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. And and for me, as a second time, I thank you. I I love our friendship, and I really appreciate uh, what you do with your listeners and the way you're performing, and and we're just grateful to be part of it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's my honor to have you both on the show, sharing your secrets to success and sharing this incredible legacy uh, that uh, we can all be a part of. We can all be part of something greater. And 
just like the Statue of Liberty, you know, back in 1885, it was gifted to us now in 2016 and moving forward. Uh, we have the ability to participate in something that will never be done, you know, in the history of the United States. You know, this will complete the bookend, as you as you mentioned earlier in the broadcast. And I thank you for taking not only time out of your busy schedules to be part of this show, but giving of yourselves and your talents for this particular cause, um, for really the benefit of not just our country, but really of humanity, because I really do believe that this is something that will impact and improve the world in a very large and global way at a much-needed time. So thank you, Darren. Thank you, Joe. I look forward to seeing you soon again, and uh, peace and love always. Great. Thank, Thank you. you so very Have a great much. day. Okay, bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.